are listening to The Mental Cast, a podcast with great discussions about mental performance training, coaching, and education and learning. Hosted by Dan Meckel and powered by Soul Performance Academy. Please check out all social media accounts at 717Soul and at Real Dan Mickle for up-to-date information, challenges, and questions. If you'd like to reach out to us here at The Mentalcast, please email us podcast at 717soul.com or podcast at Dan Mickle, and we will get back to you and may use your question for future episodes. You can also use the hashtags Ask717Soul and Ask Dan Mickle to reach us. Lastly, we would love your support across all our social media accounts at Real Dan Mickle for all of Dan Mickle's social media accounts and at 717 Soul for Soul Performance Academy. Thank you. And now here is your host, Dan Mickle. Hello and welcome to the Mental Cast podcast powered by Soul Performance Academy. I am your host, Dan Mickle. The Mental Cast is a monthly podcast for mental performance training, coaching, and great discussions. The Mental Cast is proud to be sponsored by Soul Performance Academy. Soul Performance Academy will help you get from good to great. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, an artist, or in the corporate work world, we can all benefit from mental performance training. Learn to overcome feelings of self-doubt and fear of failure. Explore how to manage emotions and feelings during competition and develop habits to improve your concentration and manage your focus. Soul Performance Academy has solutions and training methods to help all levels of athlete, coaches, and the workforce. Visit soulperformanceacademy.com for more information. And if you use the code podcast, you will receive 50% off of any online training program. Again, soulperformanceacademy.com. Use podcast as the coupon code for any of their online training solutions and you'll receive 50% off. All right, we are on episode five of season four and I like to call this one pumping the brakes. Now, for full transparency, this was not the episode that I was going to do. This was not the direction I was going to go, but with recent conversations with some other coaches in multiple sports, some parents, some officials, everyone, and kind of self-reflecting, I realized that we need to pump the brakes a little bit because we might be headed off a coaching and sports cliff. And there's a lot to unpack here. And each topic or point that I'm going to talk about today could be its own show and probably will be. But right now I'm talking just about the broad strokes of the situation. So what do I mean about kind of going off coaching in a sports cliff? Well, we got a lot of issues going on. And I believe our mentality of kind of putting the head down and blasting through the wall is just no longer going to work. We have to stop and rethink how we're doing everything from from every aspect in youth sports. Um, I read an article just the other day. You can Google it. I do not have the link. Um, If I find the link when I post this episode, I'll put it in the show notes. But it's something like, Youth sports are now like a $200 billion industry, and there's a lot of corruption, a lot of missing money. Corrupt coaches, corrupt parents, corrupt boards, stealing money, skimming money, 
not producing, not performing. And that's one aspect of it. And honestly, that's just something that I'm not going to even touch right now. I want to focus on the other side of things. We have players that seem to be uncoachable. Um, and we'll get into this. So, so bear with me because this isn't a slight, I'm not slamming players. Um, but there's a disconnect. Parents are a bit out of control. There's a shortages of referees and officials for almost every sport, everywhere you go. And then add into that, that we're having coaching burnout and coaches are leaving and you're having programs that are being canceled because they can't find coaches. They can't find anyone to run programs, let alone sustain them. There's been a lot of band-aid coaches. There's been a lot of, Hey, my kid's going to be a senior. They don't have a coach. So I guess I'll coach. So she has a senior year or he has a senior year. There's been a lot of that going on. So let's touch on some of these. And again, all these topics could be their own episode and they probably will be, but we need to start having this discussion about why everything is broken. And first is we need more free play. All right. This is one of those areas I think helps with all the areas, but we just need more free play. We need more opportunities or more chances for kids to just play, not completely organized, safe, controlled, but not organized. We don't always need jerseys and we don't always need a scorebook and a scoreboard and fans. We just need opportunities for kids just to play Find out what they like. You know, a prime example is my middle daughter has a bunch of friends that play soccer and she was traveling with them and kind of hanging out watching, but she was not a soccer player. And she wasn't sure she wanted to be, but she decided one day that she wanted to try out. Now, I will say for our experiences, this is probably one of the cheapest entries we've had into a sport. You know, we had to get the cleats and the shin guards and the ball. We basically ended up all said and done. Um, I'll say $150, 200 max um, for the tryouts, you know, for, for all the equipment, for the tryout fee, everything that was needed, you know, registrations, whatever. And she didn't like it. You know, and we knew that was going to be a chance. So we knew that we were going to return some stuff, sell some stuff, give some stuff away. Like there was always that chance. But the problem was there's no real place for her to try out. We can say that, you know, maybe at recess or whatever, but that's a little bit not organized enough. But then everyone else needs commitment. Well, this is a youth league or this is a rec league. And it's $60 that again, not a big deal, but here's your schedule. And now we're moving things around to try and get that. There's just no opportunity. Like just show up and play. Okay. Here's 12 kids. Here's 12 kids on team. Go play. And then next week, maybe there's 10 kids and 11 kids and you split them up and play. Everything seems to be so micromanaged and set. And there's not a lot of truly, 
and I mean this truly open gyms, open fields, open courts, open runs. They say that there are, but a lot of them are pretty much like mandatory. Hey, I can't say they're mandatory because it's illegal by my governing body to force you out of season to play. But these are open gyms that are highly suggested. Which is great. I understand that. But then we get back into the point of how does a kid try it? How does a kid entering ninth grade decide that he or she wants to try basketball for the first time outside of gym class? You know, it's really, really tough. And I think that is part of the problem to start with. We, we haven't given kids enough chances. In my ideal world, no matter what sport I was doing, I would love to always have an open court. You know, if, if I'm running a volleyball practice and we have four courts, I would love to be able to say, okay, three teams are practicing during this two-hour slot and we're going to leave one court open. And that open court is for free play. Siblings, brothers and sisters that are drug along to play, maybe alumni. However, and, and obviously there's some logistics there and there's some safety concerns. So you'd have to work that out. But there used to always be that parent or that group of kids that would organize the community football game or the community soccer game, the community basketball game. You know, I grew up right across the street from a basketball court, and there were always games going on, always. Just random neighborhood kids playing, middle school, high school. You know, it varied. It was different times, different days for certain things, but always. Now, no one plays. And I don't think it's because kids are lazy. I don't think it's because of video games. I don't think because of technology. I mean, sure, those are all factor into it. But I think a lot of it has to do that. Everyone's scared. Everyone's scared to just let their kids play unsupervised. I get the the world is scary and we have to worry about things, but we can still create a free, open environment that's secure. We don't have to micromanage everything and control everything. Just let them go. Who cares if that was a foul? Who cares if that was offsides? Who cares if that's a legal play? Let them figure it out. But the minute we start to gather and get kids playing, there's always someone from the outside that wants to manage it. Well, that's not a legal play and that can't happen. Just let them play. So I think that that's a big one because that gets them involved. I mean, think about it. If, if you have a daughter right now, and I know I talk a lot of volleyball because that's the world I live in and I know, but if you have a daughter right now that's 12, She's never really been exposed. Maybe she's done a camp here or there. Even if the club has open gyms, do you know how intimidating that is for a kid that's never played the sport? You do an open gym and all of a sudden all these players that have played club for a year or two, even if they're 12, 11, show up to play and they know exactly what drills are doing, who they're going to do. Like forget the whole social circle and they already know everyone in the gym but they know what's going to happen in the gym meanwhile you have a kid that's never really played organized ball getting thrown into these drills and this protocol and doing things that they've never done i equate it to waking up one day and next thing you know you're in the army like no ease in nothing boom right to boot camp and that's i think how some of these kids take it because they didn't have the chance to just play pickup or play 
you know, open court, open field. They just get thrown right into it. And we've now created this culture where kids are uncoachable, and it's not because they don't want coached. But it's because how we as coaches have to adjust. I know we we want it. This is how I was raised. This is how I was, you know, this is my coaching tree and this is how I coached and it was successful. Absolutely it was, but times change. You know, there were a lot of successful coaches in early American football. And then all of a sudden someone figured out, hey, we can throw the ball and pass the ball. And of course there were purists that like, well, we're not passing the ball. We're going to run, run, run. And they still probably won. But eventually the passing quarterback and the passing offense and then, you know, the West Coast offense and then the Wildcat, people adapt and change. And there's always those people that fight that change. And there's always successful people that fight those change. But it's kind of the flame out of the situation. Do I think Bear Bryant would be a great coach today? I don't know. If Bear Bryant is as good of a coach as I think he is, he would have changed and adapted. So yeah, he'd be a good coach, but he wouldn't be the same Bear Bryant that was coaching back in the day. It'd be a new version of Bear Bryant. And that's what I mean by the kids are uncoachable. It's not so much that they don't want coach. It's not so much that they're arrogant. Again, those traits do happen. I, I get it. But it's because we're not on the same wavelength. We're trying to teach them Latin while they're understanding French. We have to figure out what motivates them. We have to figure out what works. And we have to realize that, that we're going to have to change our coaching for that to happen. Are you going to fight with 15 players on your roster to try and get them? Or maybe you just going to change and do it differently and get the result you want? Now, I know what some of you are going to say. Oh, Dan, we can't always change our culture for the kids. No, you can't. But we don't do a very good job of reflection and seeing what we did and what we need to adjust. And I'll admit it, I don't either. And I'm going through it right now. I'm not getting the results I want. And it's not just because of the players. It's because of me. It's because of the circumstances. And I have to figure it out. How can I get through to my players? I can't always be just about fighting them and fighting them and trying to get them to do it my way because my way is the only way to do it. There has to be a part of this where I reflect and say, maybe I need to change my way a little bit. You know? That's what we got to figure out. Next. Parents. Everyone's quick to blame the parents. And I get it. Some rightly, rightfully so. But why? You know, Brett McCabe, who is, I think, one of the best sports psychologist minds out there right now. Um, B-H-R-E-T-T-M-C-C-A-B-E. Brett McCabe. Uh, .com, by the way, if you want to check out some of his stuff. Had a great video clip that said, Coaches are the key to a player's success, but in the parents' eyes, they're often a barrier to that success. 
And that hit home for me a lot. Because I think a lot of times we don't include the parents in the right stuff. We'll have the parent meetings. We'll say this is the rules. We want to talk to the players. But parents can be a super strong advocate for you as a coach, as an educator. They don't always have to be the enemy. They don't have to be your adversaries. But we have to figure out how to bring that in. How do we do that? And part of it is just being transparent. Go beyond just the rules. This is what I expect from the team this year, and this is what I want. Tell them your philosophy. Tell them why you make some of the decisions. Talk to them. Open it up. Speak to them more than at the parent meeting or when they call upset. Build those relationships. We can't be standoffish. Again, totally there. Been there. Been that guy. I'm here to coach your kids. I'm not here to be your parents' friends. Don't want to talk to your parents. Don't want to hang out with their parents in the hotels, you know, on away tournaments because that would be inappropriate. You're right, it can be, but we have to draw that boundary. Hey, just because I'm hanging out and having dinner with you doesn't mean your kid's going to get more playing time. And just because one parent's hanging out with me doesn't mean I'm going to shun or affect the other players on the team. But you have to be honest about that. It can be really lonely as a coach. You're usually away from your family on the road. You're directing players who may or may not like you because you're being hard on them as players. You have parents that won't talk to you or always talk to you when they're angry. You're stuck in a hotel room or you're with other coaches who hopefully have the same schedule when you have time. But coaching can be very lonely in that sense. So I think you need to to go out and kind of look and and bring the parents into the fold a little bit more. Again, it's not like you're going to the parents saying, hey, what should my starting lineup be? But it's okay to talk to the parents like, hey, I'm struggling with this, or yeah, they're just not working this way, and you know, it's a little tough. I could use some help on this, or you know, is there anything going on at home that I should know about or what we can do? But too many times we cut the parents out because we're afraid of the drama, and I get it. Coaching is hard enough without the outside drama. Drama from the players, drama from parents, drama from opponents. Like, There's a lot of sources of drama as a coach. But we can't let the fear of those conflicts hold us back from doing the best job we can because that's ultimately what it comes down to, that because of that fear, we're no longer doing the best job that we possibly can. Referees, we're running them out of the gyms, off the fields. Because again, we've lost the ability to have this communication. I have a great relationship with all the refs. I didn't used to. And some of them that are listening to this will probably tell you. In the 90s and early 2000s, man, I was kind of a jackass. And I get it. Because I thought fighting for my kids meant that I had to scream and yell for every point. But what I started to realize is... There's a lot of way to see things. Balls, strikes. It's not automatic. There's just not always a cut and dry. Ball handling errors in volleyball. A lot of that's opinion. I can absolutely disagree with it. But man, it doesn't always have to be a spectacle. 
It always doesn't have to be the hill I have to die on. But when's the last time that you went up to a ref and like, hey man, that was a really good job. I appreciate how you ref that match. If you're lucky, a ref will get a, hey man, good job in passing or a fist bump. But when's the last time you had a meaningful conversation? When's the last time after a match there was something that you didn't agree with? You said, hey, can you explain to me what your thought process was about that? Or why was this called, but this wasn't called? If I'm on the other side of that, if I'm the official man, that's great that the coach is asking that instead of just yelling at me. Despite what people think, most, most officials don't like giving out cards. Most officials don't want the confrontations. They just want to come in, do their job the best they can. Sometimes it's good days. Sometimes they have bad days, just like coaches, just like players. We can sit there and have a star player have an off day. And we'll chalk it up. Well, she's having an off day. We know she's much better. But man, if a referee has an off day, that's unacceptable. I would venture to bet that almost everyone listening to the podcast doesn't know a single professional. And I mean, being an official is their only job. Not that they make a lot of money at the side, not like they do it a ton. I mean, tax returns, what is your official title? Softball official. I bet there's very few of us that know anyone that's an actual professional official. Now, that doesn't give them a pass to be bad, but let me ask you this. And this goes into the second point or the third point. How much training does an official do? Most of them every year have to go through some sort of certification or recertification training. But how much of that time frame do coaches have to do? Most sports, most leagues don't really require any continuing education. Some require you to have a base level course or a class like National you know, Federation of High School Sports Introduction to Coaching that you take and coach for 30 years, you take it once. Again, this goes back to the whole thing for me where we try and force people into our way in our old ways, but yet we're afraid to learn. We need to have the continuing education because that is also going to help all of these. That's not just to help with our relationship with officials because it's tough probably for an official to argue with a, a coach that doesn't even know the rules. The rules have changed and the coach hasn't. Or the coach doesn't know how it's being interpreted because they don't pay attention. Maybe they got an email on it and they just you know clicked red or deleted it and moved on. And then they argue that call later. And I think that's what kind of leads us to some of that burnout of coaches. We're always fighting, but some of that can be alleviated by actually just taking some time for ourselves and learning. Learning skills to help cope with being a coach, not just the skills of and the sport of what we coach. But how about training on just being a coach regardless? 
life skills of a coach, you know, to avoid the burnout. So you take all these things in. Uh, that's why I say I think we're we're headed towards going off of this sports clip. We have coaches that are burning out or getting ready to leave because they're sick of it or they can't handle it. We have officials that are the same. We have parents that need to pump the brakes and calm down a little bit. We have players that sometimes feel entitled or just don't even care because they don't know any better. We haven't been able to coach them. We haven't been able to train them. But the problem is we all want to blame each other. I don't care. I don't care if it's 60% kid, 10% coaches, 5% parents, and whatever the rest of the math is, officials. I don't care what the slices of the pie are. The fact is we all need to do a better job. We as coaches need to do a better job. Us as sports parents need to do a better job. Us as athletes need to do a better job. Us as officials need to do a better job. Because all we're doing is destroying something that we all love. You don't officiate unless you actually like it. You don't coach unless you actually like it. You might have bad years and say you hate it or say you don't like it. But the truth is you wouldn't do it if you didn't like it at some level. So solutions again, more free play first. Let's just get free play. Let's get kids to get the anxiety out. Just get them playing the sport because it's hard enough to try and do a tryout or work on the skills that are required for the sport. Plus having the social anxiety of being in a tryout or something super organized. Let's just set nets up and courts up and basketball hoops up and soccer goals up and, you know, water polo goals up and just let kids play. No interference, no coaching, no officials. Just let them play and let them figure it out. And then we can start to get into the American developmental model or, you know, the ADM model and, and talk about when we should focus on competition and at what age, because that's a whole nother episode that I am doing in a few weeks. Because we got that backwards, you know, we got kids competing for the U19 World Championship of bowling. Good Lord. How about we just let them be a kid and bowl for fun? And then when they get older, they can learn the competition. They can learn how to compete. But we're throwing them in learning how to do their sport or activity and how to compete at the same time. We're not giving them a chance to learn one and then ease into the other. You need to learn to be a competitor and learn the nuances of your sport or activity at the same time. Good luck with that. Right? So for me, that's, that's spot number one. Let's, let's get some free play. Let's take some of the pressures off. No parents, no coaches, no officials. And let's just let kids play. That's my big one. So next... How about we just mandate continuing education for every stakeholder, whether you're a club director, you're a coach, you're a board member, you're an official. We need to have stricter rules. I'll say it again. We need to have continuing education for every stakeholder in youth sports. 
I don't care if it's parent education, officials education, club director education, coaches education. If we want youth sports to survive, we have to continue to educate on all levels. We can't just expect the coaches to be the educated ones. We can't just expect the officials to be the educated ones. If you run a club, I don't care if it's one team or 300 teams, and you're not doing some sort of education for your parents. Now, you can't force them to take it. But if you're not offering some sort of education to your parents, you're failing. You're failing in your mission. Because those are the ones that you need to get the buy-in. Same with coaches. If you are farming out, which is fine, you're doing a company that does different. You know, in the volleyball world, there's a lot of different companies that do training. Plus, USA Volleyball does training. That's great. But you should also have in-house training. Don't just give your coaches a handbook. Hey, here's our philosophy. Here's our beliefs. Here's what we want to do. Train them in it. Also, train them in the sport. If you're good enough to run a club, you should be good enough to train your coaches, even at the just the basic level. You know, it's okay. Send them to these big, you know, coaches clinics and seminars and conventions. That's awesome. But you can do training in-house. But there has to be something continuing. Otherwise, we're going to get to the point where we're at now, where we're not connecting with our players and we don't know how. We call them uncoachable. But maybe we're unteaching a bull. I don't even know if that's, that's obviously not a word. But if the kids are uncoachable, maybe we're incapable of teaching or coaching. So we have uncoachable kids and we have incapable coaching coaches. And we have to get everyone back on the same page. So that's step two in my recovery plan. We need to go back and start mandating. I know it's a pain in the butt. I know coaching doesn't pay a lot. I know it's time consuming. But if you're going to do this and you're going to be in the youth sports space, should be part of the deal. So much time every year on some sort of education. Maybe it's in the middle of the season. Maybe it's three times, beginning, middle, and end of the season. I'm not telling you exactly what to do, but there has to be some. So that's step two. Now, on to step three. Promote training officials in your club. Why not get your kids acting as officials? Stop treating the officials like they're the bad people. Embrace it. Make it cool to be the official. All right, we're going to scrimmage. We're going to have our 16-1 and our 16-2s team scrimmage each other. Well, good. 16-3, you guys are the officials. And everyone takes the turn. Because we're going to have a little bit more empathy when they're up on that stand or they're running along the sidelines and making calls. When it's their turn to be playing and have to deal and rely on officials. Because they've done it. They've now seen that side. We can all see it. We can see what officials do. But until you actually do it, man, it's a different world. You're lonely out there. You're literally in some sports on a pedestal. Not by choice, just that's the way the game is. So let's teach and show our kids that it's not a bad thing. 
can also be really good money for the record. Officials can get paid very well. But let's start training all our athletes on how to be officials. Then maybe some of them will. Maybe when they're done playing, they decide, you know, I'm not going to play in college. I'm not going to play professionally. But, man, I think I'd still like to stay involved. Maybe I'll do officials. Make incentives. Knock $100 off a kid's dues because they get certified as an official or something. I, I, there's a lot of ways that you can do it. But promote it. Don't just say, hey, if you want to, you should be an official. Make time. Make a night where you work on officiating. Spend a half hour once a month on officiating. It'll make them a better player as well. It's not just about replacing these officials that are leaving, but it'll also make them a better player. Heck, bring parents in. Sign them up. And not in a snarky way. You know, some people are like, here, you don't like the calls, you become the ref. No, but hey, we want to have officials. We'll take $100 off your dues if you get certified as a parent, as a parent official. Or we'll do this for you. We'll do that. You know, you can figure that out. But if you're scrimmaging in practice, why not try and make it as game-like as possible and somehow get refs in there? Again, parents, other teams, other players. Hey, when we scrimmage to end practice tonight, our 17s team is coming in early and they're going to be our officials for our scrimmage. So now we're just not having a plain old scrimmage. We're actually having an officiated scrimmage. And you're right. Some of the calls will be bad. Some will get blown. But that's what's going to happen in the real game. So why not use that to prepare? Use the resources that are already there. And then my last point in the solution area of all this is we need to stop relying on history and tradition. History and tradition is great to look back at to enjoy, to relish in, but we can't always let them drive us because at some point traditions and history has to change. And too many times we cling on the past. We bring in the bias of the past, the expectations from the past and try and hold the current situation to the same ones. That's just not fair. It's not the same group of players. It's not the same group of coaches. But yet we're going to try and hold them to that same standard that a previous team or previous program had. And those are the things that we have to work on in that sense. We have to figure out how we can still respect the past and our traditions, but not let it drive the bus. We need new ideas, new philosophies. Try things out. It's okay to fail. You haven't really failed until you stop trying. All right? So let's think about it. How much is tradition driving you? How much are you doing things? Because that's the way you've always done it as a program. Well, we've always just done it that way. And it works. We've had some success. You're right. But what success would you have had or what greater success would you have had if maybe you got some fresh ideas in there and tried something new? I guarantee you Nick Saban does not coach the same way today that he does that he did two years ago, five years ago, 
10 years ago. Pick any great coach. Phil Jackson, always evolving. Steve Kerr, always evolving. And that's what we look at. How can I honor the past but not let it hold up my future? So again, my solutions that we can try. More chances at free play. Unstructured but safe free play. Any sport, just let them play. Two, mandatory education for all stakeholders. Parent education, coach education, administrator education, official education. If you are involved in this program, you will have some level of education. Hey, mom and dad, you want your kid to play for us? Okay, well, here's our one-hour module that I really want you to It talks about our philosophy, how we work, how we play, how we train, and the rules of our sport because probably a lot of rules change every year, little things. I mean, how many times have you done that? Oh, I didn't realize that. Back when I played, that wasn't an issue. It's because we don't keep up with it. So we need to have that continued education. Third is we need to promote the training of officials in our programs. U9, U10, U11, doesn't matter. Find a way to get them involved as officials. Get them on that path and show them. Being an official can be cool, can be fun, can be rewarding. Officials aren't always the bad person. And then lastly is to stop relying on history and tradition. Honor it, know it, but it doesn't actually have to drive you where you're going. It doesn't have to drive you where you're going. Respect tradition and the history, but don't let it control you. So that is the cliff that I'm worried about. And I think that's how we avoid it. That's how we pump the brakes. We've created an uncoachable environment because we're okay with kids and parents leaving programs, program hopping if they don't get the way they want. We'll just cycle in new kids. They'll just go somewhere new. And then they're never held accountable or responsible as they get older. They get to college and they're just not open to coaching because they've always just done it their way. And if they didn't get it, they would go somewhere else. And it's not just the fault of the players and the parents. It's the clubs for letting it happen and not figuring out ways to combat that. Our parents can be out of control because we don't give them a voice. We try to silence them. Again, they don't have to dictate everything. Obviously, they can be vocal on the sides, but I'm talking a true voice. I'm not saying they run practices. I'm not saying they run your club. But there's probably some really good ideas other than them just writing checks and keeping your business afloat. Keep them in the loop. This is why we train the way we do, how we train, why we pick this event over another event. It's the uncertainty that causes the friction typically. It's not the actual events. It's just the not knowing. Shortage of refs because we don't respect them, we don't train it, and we can. 
That's my challenge. That's my actionable challenge for anyone listening to this podcast. If you're practicing or you're in season, out of season, open gyms, whatever, I challenge you the next time you're with your team to figure out a way to incorporate officials into that practice or that scrimmage or whatever you're doing. How can you take that moment to train someone in a duty that an official would normally have? And how would that help your practice out? And then stop relying on history and tradition to guide you. Forge your own path, respecting what has come before you, but let that drive you. So there you have it. There's still plenty of time left. We're not going over that cliff yet. But if things don't change, we're going to have a shortage of coaches. We're going to have a shortage of officials. We're going to have a shortage of athletic directors. And we're just going to start losing sports. And then we're going to start losing participation. We have to stop pointing the fingers and start having open dialogues about all of it. And we have to have education on all of it. Remember, you can always reach out to me across all social media at Real Dan Mickle. You can email the show podcast at mentalcast.com. We'd love to have your questions, your comments, and your discussions. Please share, like, rate, comment, do everything you can for this podcast. And let's spread the word and open up those dialogues. And make sure you check out soulperformancecommy.com. And you can always check out my stuff, danmickle.com. And find us on TikTok. YouTube. We have some great content going out now on all social media and don't be afraid to let's have a little discussion with this episode. Don't worry about the trolls. We'll be fine. Listen, in all seriousness, I love coaching. I love helping coaches and I think we can get in a really good spot, but it's going to take some reflection from all of us to see where we messed up, where we are doing things wrong, some correction and fixing those things. And we're not always going to agree. It's not always going to be clean cut. This is the percentage of involvement for this and that. It's going to vary, but we have to be open to it. We have to stop being so closed and this is what we're doing. If they don't like it, they can go play somewhere else. Because that's what happens and then we get upset that those players go and play somewhere else. It's okay to adjust. It's okay to grow. It's okay to change. As long as you stick to your core philosophies and your core beliefs, the little stuff doesn't matter. All right. Peace. Love. Much love. Don't suck. And I will catch you back here next month for the next episode of The Mental Cast. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mental Cast. We hope you enjoyed it. We would love for you to like, share, and leave a review for this episode to help boost our exposure. And remember, you can reach out to us with the hashtags Ask717Soul and AskDanMickle. And you may also email your questions to podcast at 717Soul or podcast at DanMickle to reach us. And we may use your questions for future episodes. Thank you, and we look forward to bringing you more episodes in the future.